Good morning again. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6 will be our sermon text for this morning. If you've been around for a while, you know we uh, were going through 1 Peter in the fall, and uh, we didn't quite get it finished, so we uh, have picked it up again uh, this morning. First uh, Peter 4, 1 through 6. Uh, before we read that, let's pray together. Our Father, we do, uh, we do pray that you would speak into our trials this morning, uh, that you would speak to us uh, about our suffering and about the hope of the gospel, uh, that you would pour out your Spirit on us to those ends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Well, trials are never easy, uh, or else they wouldn't be trials. I wonder what trials you have been going through recently. Particularly, I wonder what, what ways you may have faced rejection you know, we're going to talk about facing suffering this morning. Uh, Peter is writing uh, his letter to churches who are facing suffering. But it may be helpful to note the kind of suffering that they faced. They weren't being burned at the stake or stoned in the town square or gunned down in their church services. They were being spoken against, according to chapter 2, verse 12, and reviled and slandered and maligned and insulted. At least the majority of their suffering was verbal, not physical. And though we might imagine that being ostracized by their community would likely have other effects, an effect on their social standing more broadly, uh, maybe even their financial dealings as well, uh, nevertheless, their trials were fundamentally relational. Their family, their friends, their neighbors and co-workers had rejected them because of their faith. Now, of course, that their suffering was verbal and not physical doesn't mean it was easy. Sorrow of heart, Scripture says, is more difficult to bear than physical pain. Proverbs 18, 14 says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? Enduring physical pain is one thing, but rejection and depression and sadness and despair, they are something else altogether. 
I feel like I've said this often, but it bears repeating uh, because it's such a common saying, at least for small children. The saying, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, just isn't true. Rejection always hurts. And it hurts the most tender part of us, our hearts. Lots of things make suffering and rejection even worse. Uh, Things like a sense of guilt, if I feel like the suffering is somehow my fault. Or a sense of injustice, if I feel like the suffering isn't fair. Or a sense of hopelessness, when I feel like this is never going to get any better. It's never going to end. And what I want us to see this morning is that because of Christ, because he suffered and rose, we can face sufferings. Uh, That is, the work of Christ transforms our suffering and gives us hope even in the midst of it. So we can face suffering because of three things, and you can follow along on the outline printed on the back of your bulletin. Though I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. Uh, We can face suffering because, one, uh, we belong to Christ. That one's the same. Uh, Two, justice will come. And three, after the cross comes the crown. So one, we belong to Christ. Two, justice will come. And three, after the cross comes the crown. So we can face suffering because, one, we belong to Christ. Uh, No matter how much we hear otherwise, uh, we tend to think suffering is always a sign of wrongdoing. Uh, It it is that sometimes, of course. Sometimes we do suffer because of things that we have done. But that's not always the case. Uh, People uh, thought it was in Jesus' day. Uh, You may remember one time some people told him about certain Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them saying, uh, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than any other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18, Jesus went on, uh, on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, in John 9, there's another story. Jesus Uh, In John 9, saw a blind man from birth, saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see their assumption. Their assumption is that his suffering is the direct result of some particular sin. It's worth noting that according to John, only Jesus saw the man blind from birth. His disciples could only see the man's sin, or so they thought. Jesus' response, of course, was that neither this man nor his parents had sinned. We are quick to blame, and and we're often full of superstition. Uh, We have a kind of a sense of justice, and so our knee-jerk reaction is to ask, well, something bad is happening. Whose fault is it? And if you are the one suffering, this is a miserable place to be. On top of the suffering, whatever it may be, we just heap on guilt, which only makes the suffering worse. This is why Peter says here to these besieged churches in verses 1 and 2, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased 
from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, this phrase, uh, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, it can actually be read two different ways. Uh, It could mean when you suffer, the result is you stop sinning. Uh, This this would be the idea that suffering sanctifies us, that that trials make you a better person. And and there is truth in this, of course. Uh, God uses our trials uh, to conform us to his image. Scripture says, as as a father disciplines those whom he loves, so, so our trials should be seen as our loving father training us to look to him rather than to the world for life and peace. But this phrase could actually be taken another way. It could mean that when you stop sinning, suffering is the result. The the chronology of the sentence is actually left undetermined by the grammar. In in, in this case, uh, which actually I think is more likely, the point is that our sanctification leads to suffering. That is, when you try to live better, life actually becomes more difficult. This is what Paul says elsewhere in 2 Timothy 3. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is how Peter explains it, I think, in verses 3 and 4, where he says, uh, verse 3, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. See, these young churches had ceased to participate in the sinful aspects of the culture around them with the result that they were maligned. Their striving after holiness actually led to suffering and persecution. And here's what I think Peter is trying to say. He's saying, yes, you you face real trials, slander, insults, difficulties. But far from meaning uh, that you've done something wrong, it actually means you're on the right track. Uh, It's your commitment to Christ that is your commitment to no longer live for human passions, but to live for the will of God that has gotten you in this trouble. And in this sense, your suffering is actually a sign that you belong to Christ. Because as Paul puts it, you you share Christ's sufferings. Uh, Paul exhorts Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel and to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Peter is saying here that that's what's happening to you, dear church, Your suffering is a sign that you belong to Jesus. Your rejection by the world is a sign of your acceptance by Christ. A few things need to be said about this. Uh, The the first is, of course, when when you commit to following God's will, you you will likely receive pushback. Again, Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, this may be big or it may be small, but it is to be expected that some people won't take kindly to your new way of life. But second, we need to be careful, uh, careful that we aren't just being obnoxious. Uh, we, we can't be jerks for Jesus and then say, oh, I've been rejected because of the gospel. That gives the gospel a bad name. Uh, the gospel is inherently offensive to sinners, but that doesn't mean you should be. Paul says in Colossians 4, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. And Peter has said in chapter 3, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
Uh, Third, notice the the things that Peter actually says are offensive here. Again, verses 3 and 4. He says, uh, uh, for, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Um, Notice the kinds of things Peter lists. These are big things, drunken parties, orgies, idolatry. And Peter is just highlighting these key aspects of the culture that God's people just could not participate in. Christians by nature are are actually nonconformists. We can't conform to the ways of this world. Now, you might think, well, in our day, that, that's a good thing, right? Don't we value nonconformity in our culture? Uh, well, of course, the answer is yes and no. We value nonconformity in the sense that we value tolerance. Nonconformity with that value, though, will not be tolerated. This is one of those places where we cannot conform. We, we shouldn't be jerks about it. We should speak with grace and gentleness and respect to those with whom we differ. But we, we believe that there is a certain order to life, a moral order which reflects the goodness of our God, and with that we cannot compromise. Another warning here, right? While we must not compromise with what Scripture says, uh, we must be wary of adding to what Scripture says. It's so easy to begin to take a stand on, on my particular applications of Scripture, That is, I live it out this way, so everybody else should live it out this way, too. This is actually uh, called legalism, right? Whenever you add to God's law. And yes, the world will malign you for that, of course. But in this case, again, it is you and not the gospel that is offensive. But we must not conform. Uh, We must draw lines, but we must draw only the lines that Scripture draws, And nevertheless, no matter how gracious, no matter how gentle, no matter how respectful, refusing to conform to the values of the world will, in the end, bring hostility. And it makes sense, of course, because by refusing to conform, we are implicitly saying there's something wrong here. The book of Hebrews tells us that Noah, in obeying God and building the ark, condemned the world. Uh, That doesn't mean Noah was uh, was a judgmental person. But that by his righteous behavior, the unrighteous behavior of the world was made plain. And so we should be understanding, even of those who might speak bad against us. We know what it's like to have our sin pointed out. I don't like it. My guess is you don't like it either. And hence the need, right, of grace towards sinners, right? The same grace that God has shown to us in our sin. And so when we suffer for his name, that suffering actually demonstrates that we belong to Christ, that we are associated with him. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it, was, it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And normally for us, this is small. Uh, a family member who is upset that, that we're in what they think is a God phase. Or a friend who feels hurt that we no longer want to go out and get drunk with them. Or a boss who is annoyed at our unwillingness to, to fudge the numbers just a little bit to make him look good. But that kind of rejection is, is nevertheless real. And it's facing that kind of suffering. If you are facing that kind of suffering, let me remind you, right, that's a, that's a sign 
that you belong to Jesus. If the world hates you, know that it has hated him first. Rejection by the world should point us to our acceptance by Christ, that we belong to him. Now, we shouldn't get arrogant about it. It's not a badge of honor, but, but let that thought be a comfort to you, even in the pain, that this is a reminder that I, that I don't belong to this world. As Peter says, I'm an alien and a stranger here, but I belong to Jesus. And I can face rejection by the world because I have acceptance from my Father through him. Second, we can face suffering because justice will come. Life is not fair. You study hard and the cheater gets the A. Or you work hard and the slacker gets the promotion. Or you try to be a nice guy. But as the saying goes, nice guys finish last. Uh, Wise King Solomon actually agrees with this. Uh, In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, he says, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. This makes suffering all the worse. It feels wrong. It's not fair. If I was willing to compromise, things might be easier. And of course, that might be true. They might be easier in a way and for a time. But what does Peter say? Verse 5, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. See, there, there is injustice now, Peter says. It, he's, he's recognizing that. He's saying, yes, they malign you. Yes, it's not fair. Yes, it's not right. It's wrong. But, but there will not be injustice forever. There is one who will judge the living and the dead. Jesus, who himself has risen from the dead, will come and judge. And justice will finally be done. Uh, Peter goes on further in verse 6 and says, uh, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, uh, this verse has caused a little bit of controversy, but it can actually, I think, be read in a pretty straightforward way. Uh, First, what what does it mean that the gospel was preached to those who are dead? Um, Well, I think that the easiest, the most simple way of reading that line is the gospel is preached to those who are now dead, not, not preached to people who, while they were dead, uh, but it was preached to them when they were alive. Uh, notice the tense of the verbs. It was preached to those who are dead. So it was preached in the past to those who are currently dead. Peter means Christians. He's talking about Christian people who heard and believed the gospel and then died. And you see their death, after suffering so many insults and and so much slander, on on top of that to face death, could have on the one hand added to the the fuel to the fire of those who maligned the Christian community. I, I thought Jesus defeated death. Where is he now? On the other hand, it could have added to the Christian community's sense of defeat, right? Years of insult and in the end, death. Is this it? Is this what we have to look forward to? I mean, what good did the gospel do? It only made their short lives worse. But Peter says, verse 6, This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, again, if you compare translations of this verse, you'll notice they're all a little bit different. Uh, Everybody is trying to uh, communicate just what... uh, 
these words are getting at. And a really wooden translation would be something like this. Though judged according to men in the flesh, they might live according to God in the spirit. And I think the point is, though they are judged in the flesh, that is in this life, according to men, that is according to human standards, they will live in the spirit, that is in the age of the spirit, in the life to come, according to God, that is by God's will. And the point is something like this. Even though people judge you in this life by the standards of this age, God is the judge in the life to come. And if you have heard and believed the gospel, the result will not be condemnation, but life in the Spirit. And so don't give up. Right? Our, our temptation when our faith begins to make things uncomfortable is to pull back, to, to keep quiet, to, to go along, to get along. And Peter is saying, don't give up, don't compromise. Yes, you face injustice now, but all things will be put right in the end. Yes, you will face the scorn of men here, but because of the gospel, you will have the smile of God forever. Which brings us to the last point. We can face suffering because we belong to Christ. Justice will come, and after the cross comes the crown. Uh, th- this is an important point, whatever the cause of your suffering. Uh, whatever, whatever reason uh, you, you are undergoing difficulties, uh, hold on to this point. Suffering does not have the last word. Suffering is not the end. Suffering leads to glory. I skipped over an important phrase early in verse 1. Uh, Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. And note first, we're to arm ourselves with a certain way of thinking. That implies a battle. There is a battle going on when we suffer. Uh, It's not the physical battle for our lives or even the verbal battle for our reputations. It's the battle for our hearts. Satan wants to use our suffering to bring us to the point of despair. Isn't that what happens, right? Suffering just wears you down until you can't go on any longer. And so you either give up on the Christian life altogether because it's just too hard or you live life completely defeated. A Christian who, who neither knows the joy of your salvation nor shares that joy with others. And Peter says, arm yourselves for this battle. Okay, how do we arm ourselves for this fight for our hearts? Well, verse 1, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Well, what, what, same as what? Peter says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So it must be the thinking of Christ when he suffered in the flesh. But to understand uh, you know, uh, that, we have to ask another question, right? What, what was Christ thinking when he suffered in the flesh? Um, and to understand what Paul is getting at, we have to back up a few verses. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, a few verses before, Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And what happened when Jesus was made alive in the Spirit? Verse 22, chapter 3, He has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. See, He rose as the victor. And do you see what Peter's getting at? He's saying Christ suffered in the flesh, we suffer in the flesh. We are judged in the flesh, but Christ was made alive in the Spirit, and so, too, verse 6, we will live in the Spirit. Meaning, by the power of God's Spirit, in the age to come, we, too, will find life. 
And so even if we don't know what Christ is thinking, right, we know the, the logic of what happens. Suffering in the flesh leads to life in the spirit. Death, then resurrection. Suffering, then glory. But actually, we, we do know what Christ was thinking because the writer of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus knew that the path to the crown, the joy set before him, was through the cross. And this is consistently set before God's people as the path that we must walk. We do not earn the crown through our cross, but we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. As Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. We go where our Savior has gone that we might be where our Savior is. And so Philippians 3, 10 to 11, Paul wants to share in the sufferings of Christ, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, he might attain the resurrection from the dead. Or 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Or Romans 8, 17, Paul says, we are children of God and so fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Or James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Friends, your Father loves you. Your trials are, are purposeful. Everything will be put right on the last day. For now, we know that death comes before resurrection, suffering before glory, and the cross before the crown. So I ask you, what what trials are you facing right now? Uh, What struggles, what rejection, what pain? Do you think it it, it might be your fault or, or do you feel that it's just not fair or do you wonder if it's ever going to end? Don't give up. There, there are easy ways out, right? I mean, sometimes it's easier to, to go along, to get along, to, to compromise, to make life easy. Sometimes we can find comfort in the pleasures of this life or dull our senses through self-medication. But suffering is the path to glory. That doesn't mean you invite it or pursue it or seek it out, but it does mean when it comes, you keep moving forward. You take up your cross and follow Jesus, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, knowing that we suffer with him now, that we may be glorified with him then. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would give us a clear sight of the glory of Jesus, the the, the resurrection glory of our Savior, who, who died but who also rose in the power of the Spirit and has ascended to your right hand where he now sits reigning in heaven Give us a clear sight and and clear faith, a confident faith that he will return and we too will rise and live with him. Increase our hope in that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.